This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome to Kelly and Rumya. We are spending the rest of this show with you. Well, if you're wondering how long that's going to be, I swear we have all the time in the day. It's two hours, actually. So hour one and hour two. We've got lots of conversation for you always. But, you know, I don't that's know where... That's because you keep showing up all and over I these networks over and over again. always show up, and not just on this show, but on other shows as well. I'm actually sick and tired of hearing my voice through... Um, through some well, of the streams that go on. I'm glad you said that. It's anyway. me. It's true. Worst critic. But, Kelly, wherever people are joining from might be their vacation spots. Have you been thinking about vacation lately? Are you the type of person when it gets cold, you're thinking, I need to get the heck out of here and go somewhere sunny? No. Not at all? I don't mind the cold in that. Well, I you're think Canadian, I'm going somewhere whenever. I don't really care about that. I'll take a trip, especially if it's discounted free or whatever, at any time. Thank you. Did you ever say you grew up in Montreal or parts of Quebec? Yeah, a long time ago. Some of the listeners remember better uh, than you. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> many times I've said I've grown up, mm. grew up part mm-hmm. of my life in Montreal. So do you think that that's one of the reasons why you're just uh, down with the cold? No, I'm just still thinking I'll take any trip that I can get handed at any time. Yeah, okay, all right. I just don't the, the really free think stuff about aside. it. Yeah, okay. To me, the winter time is just to be here to do work, school, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think about it that way. Now, ideally, I would love to be just out for the winter vacation, Christmas break, holiday time, but that's never, ever. Did your family ever. travel No, we, we've never, and, ever no. done See, it. that's my we've thing. I never think home. about it because we yeah. never, ever did it. Exactly, but... The, the January, February blahs are worst, and I want to be out at that time. We'll see what happens. And maybe hey, if my vacation. Once, apparently. Yeah. When my vacation days refresh. But the question really at hand here is if you travel light or if you travel heavy. I am light. a very light packer. Really? You think you pack lighter, lighter than me, though? Like well, I have a bigger duffel. clothes. I'm a bigger person. I'm, no, that's the same. It's I, if I can repurpose, if I have to go for something and I need a suit, then it becomes ridiculous, right? Yeah. But if I can help it, definitely light. I've seen you with your suits and the, the bags and the ironing and the keep it straight, right? That's Oh, yeah. That's very... Oh, yeah. That's Once I'm wearing it, then I put it back in the bag, and then I say I'll trust somebody to carry it, Garment but not bag. likely. Can you roll it? Forget it. Like, aren't there ways to get around if you're gonna go, the If suits? you're going to go to the dry cleaner, you can generally, if you know it's going to the dry cleaner, you can just or hold it Or steam it, no? Can oh, yeah. steam but, it on location? Yeah. No? Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. You, it's, they have those portable steamers. Yeah, see? So I just get a steamer and then are. travel light again. Yeah, but it's still, not I just gonna... throw it over my back and away I go. Tie it to the bag and away I go. It's not going to stop me from packing light. All right. Well, yeah. Light packing when you go on your vacation to Mexico in January. <laughs> for sure. Let's see what's coming up on the show today. We've got a nice lineup for you. This is the Tuesday lineup. On our nutrition segment, Julia Caranchis is talking about chili and all its mighty nutrients. And look is here for that conversation. Kelly McDonald, the chili hater. Question. Big question. Segment uh, three when that comes up. Why? Uh, later on in the program, <laughs> students and staff at a local elementary school in Medicine Hat 
Get the opportunity in learning about a variety of disabilities on November 30th. Community reporter Tony Freimark will be here to start our second hour with the information on that. Plus, we have Voices. This is a monthly segment where we put you on the pedestal. Tell us about what you actually care to talk about. Technical producer for AMI-audio and co-host of AMI-audio book review, Jacob Shemetsky is going to join us. He's loving it. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> we will find out. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Here's what else we have of not really great news, but uh, wonder what's going to happen moving forward. Negotiators of... Um, uh, negotiators of key talks in Nairobi, Kenya, have failed to agree on how to head towards the development of the global treaty to end plastic pollution. Big stuff. Environmental advocates criticised the outcome of the week-long UN-led meetings on plastic pollution, saying oil-producing countries successfully employed stalling tactics designed to weaken the treaty. Member states decided then to move forward with a revision of the September draft, which has become longer during this third round of negotiations. It will be even more difficult to advance, participants say. States also failed to reach a consensus on intercessional work to discuss crucial parts of the draft to be done ahead of the fourth round of negotiations. I'm Charles Deledesma. Stalling? Nobody stalls. No powerful people stall on anything. We make decisions right away, and it just keeps getting better and better. So um, the, the question for me is whether this tactic on its own is new or uh, newsworthy or, you know, the right way to do things, an example of how we should be making decisions. Of course, disagreements and um, butting heads is everywhere on everything. But with climate uh, action-oriented things, especially when it comes to plastic pollution, I wonder if we're still just treating it like we can take it back to the drawing board whenever we have disagreements about something. I thought we were all, most of us, on the same page about what plastic pollution is and the idea that we need to get rid of it. I wonder, because plastic jeopardizes us in a different way, I mean, a lot of us don't really think about the fact that we drink it, that... Mm. All these creatures that are getting the micro. hurt by it. Yeah. yeah, the micro ones, the beads that come in our oils or get into the water, and you find it everywhere, including the North Pole. I, I think it's one of those passive things that we, well, it all collects. One day you get a couple of helicopters to lock onto it and lift it out of the ocean, and then you got rid of that pile of plastic, and it's not a concern. Not true. I don't think we think about it in the sense that we should of the danger it's doing to marine life alone and if you eat fish you're eating the plastics from that along with other metals and all sorts of unpleasant things so it's again one of the things Ramya that we are able to well it's not really that big a deal I'll just put it over here and not get as upset as oh it's getting hot oh I can, can you not feel it look at the fires we, then, that's tangible in front of all of us well isn't it all tangible I mean when we're talking about sure in- it is. information it's not lack yeah. of information that's out there that's right. it's not we don't know about it, but right. we've known about all sorts of smoke and other damages for mm-hmm. hundreds of years but until it uh it's a really I'm here uh, at your door my name is smoke procedural <laughs> exactly attitudinal you know the, the kinds of ways that we think we need to deal with it or uh again every time going back to process 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 and yeah Part of me understands that because when it comes to big decision making, of course, there's got to be a, a, a bit of a chain a reaction plan. and a, 
plan, but also just how we get things done is mm. is tedious work. But um, I, I think that it's, you know, pointing back to the lack of information is just unreasonable. There's no lack of information on where we should be, where we ought to be, and how quickly we need to get there. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, unfortunately, it's definitely on how when does this affect me? How is it affecting me? Oh, oh it's yeah. affecting me now. I guess I better weigh in on this. Or how come we haven't done something sooner if this has been a problem? Uh, there's so much of that head in the sand that a lot of us are able to do or just saying, well, I don't know what I can do. Just stop doing it, governments. It's on you. Of course, I voted of you in. Do it. Of course. Yeah. There's still a lot of this gap between our personal impact and what's going on, quote, out there, you know, who the people. People of and power, our what are they responsibility. doing? Responsibility, exactly, and how whether or not it even affects the bigger picture. Ah, tough conversation. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back to ask a vet. This is a conversation we have weekly with Dr. Danielle Johnkind, and she is today talking about navigating difficult conversations and situations between vets and clients. We'll see what she has to share on that topic after the break. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya on your AMI feed, AMI audio, AMI TV. We are here daily. Check us out. And also check us out on your favorite podcast platform because that's where we are on demand and cater to your schedule. Look at that. It's a nice little promo. On Tuesdays, we get to a veterinarian conversation. We call it Ask a Vet, and we do this with Dr. Danielle Johnkind. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. I don't know if we're getting into human psychology today, but we are definitely getting into relationships and sometimes the strain around them. So many relationships between people run into some kind of difficulty sooner or later. And this is and can be the case between veterinarians and their clients and what kind of situations uh, happen that can lead to difficulties, what can be done to prevent these things from recurring or occurring. Dr. Danielle Johnkind is going to give us some insights, maybe some personal experiences uh, to talk about these relationships and make our relationships with our veterinarians stronger. I love this conversation, Danielle. In June... We talked about reasons people sometimes leave a veterinary practice. Now, assuming that a person is happy with the services that are being offered, the location of their um, veterinarians, and the hours that the practices are open, what kind of situations, other situations maybe, that uh, what are they that can come up that can lead to difficulties between vets and clients? <laughs> Well, let me start by saying I am not a human psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even through Definitely. night school yet? Haven't gotten not around to it yet? All right, only anecdotal <laughs> things here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a mom and that's as close as it gets, right? Oh, that's a lot that's of work so there. There's big, a night yeah. course. That's, that's a, a life big course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, we did talk about um, some of these things in June, but, you know, we can sort of expand maybe a bit on them today. So, 
you know, a big, you know, potential situation that can lead to difficulties that I hear about a lot, of course, is the cost of veterinary care. Um, that can cause friction between veterinarians and their clients. Um, while there are low-cost veterinary services available, of course, that are subsidized by other organizations, most people are using the services of private clinics, you know, which are businesses they have to make money in order to stay open. And, you know, from the veterinarian's perspective, you know, we're people too. We have groceries to buy and kids to put through school, rent or mortgages to pay, just like everybody else. So we, you know, we have to make our own ends meet. We can't work for free. Um, and of course, when a person chooses to get a pet, they also choose to take on the financial responsibility of adopting one. But from the from the client's perspective, you know, it can be really difficult, you know, to judge to juggle these priorities for spending, um, especially when someone's circumstances change unexpectedly. So. You know, sometimes people get laid off, they get a divorce, um, they have changes in their health, um, and all of these things can have catastrophic consequences for someone's financial situation. And, you know, when you add a sick pet and veterinary costs into that sort of situation, you can easily see how those stressful circumstances can lead to difficulties between vets and their clients. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Danielle, because you hear some people say, well, if you can't afford to have a pet, you shouldn't have a pet, and all these different things, as if it's a stereo system they've gone out and bought, and it's been a little extravagant when they could have gone for something a little cheaper. And I think <laughs> so many times we recognize now, there's a lot of that companion, the mental health piece, and people just wanting that company, wanting that pet to love, and 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 those circumstances, I think sometimes we get a little too high-handed about, well, if you can't afford or can't do, but you do have to obviously think about that. So can we talk about some of the other situations that can create some difficulties? For sure. And you're right. And I think it's really important to suspend judgment. Like you can't assume that somebody, you know, that their situation is going to stay the same as it was five or 10 years ago. You can't assume that you know, you know, what their situation is like. So, you know, suspending that judgment on whether they could have or could not have afforded a pet, I think is really important. But, you know, some other situations that can create difficulties, you know, um, unrealistic expectations is another big one. Um, the science and art that is veterinary medicine, you know, it, it has limitations. Um, you know, no matter how much money, time or effort you throw at some health problems, there are in reality, there are going to be some that just can't be fixed. Um, we also have to consider the management limitations for every situation. I mean, we have some pets that have temperaments that won't allow for certain interventions, like a cat that a client can't give pills to, for example, or an aggressive dog that needs to be sedated for every visit for safety reasons. Um, sometimes clients have physical limitations that prevent them from being able to do things for their pets, like an elderly person trying to lift a big dog into a bathtub mm. three times a week to bath them for a skin condition. Um, so, you know, unrealistic expectations can happen on both sides of the veterinary and client relationship. So I think it's something that everyone should be aware of. And another one is um, emotions running high, you know, is another issue, of course, that can
can lead to difficulties in any relationship, but in this one too. Um, attachment to our pets is the very definition of the human-animal bond. And when that bond is threatened, it can cause all kinds of emotional reactions. You know, we see frustration, we see anger, we see fear, we see resentment. You know, if we're not careful, you know, these things can motivate people to lash out against others inappropriately. And of course, veterinarians are not allowed to do this. I mean, you know, anyone who does faces serious consequences for professional misconduct. But a client who does this to their veterinarian can drive a wedge between themselves and the person who's trying to help them. And, you know, at best, that complicates the delivery of effective care for the pet. And at worst, it can compromise it. So we really want to kind of avoid that situation at all costs. What are some strategies for difficulty uh, navigating the kind of difficulties that could come up when it's, you know, veterinarians and clients and the things that you can face? Well, you know, I think the biggest strategy is communication. And, you know, I really can't stress that enough. And, you know, there are two components to effective communication between vets and clients. And of course, the first is education. So, you know, both parties need to make sure they understand the other person's perspective, which means they have to volunteer the needed information. And so for veterinarians, a lot of this communication is actually a legislated requirement known as informed consent. So your veterinarian has to communicate to you what they know of your pet's condition, the recommended courses of action, and the potential consequences of accepting or declining various courses of action. They're also required to disclose the costs associated with their recommendations in the form of an itemized invoice and to provide an estimate if you request one. From a client's perspective, educating your veterinarian on your own unique situation is just as crucial. You know, Maybe um, you have physical or financial limitations which affect how you can care for your pet. You know, what are your goals and expectations um, with respect to veterinary care for your pet? So, you know, both sides have this education thing to, you know, prevent some of these difficulties. And the second part of the communication, of course, is listening. So in my experience, this is where things sometimes break down. Mm. <laughs> everyone, you know, everyone needs to be heard. You know, they, they need to feel like their concerns have been addressed. And listening is really important for vets to understand the limitations clients have in implementing recommendations. And it's important for clients to understand what vets can and can't do for pets within those limitations. So listening really can help us to eliminate that problem of unrealistic expectations that I mentioned earlier. In other circumstances, people have other pressures on them that prevent them from really listening. You know, um, time is a big one for both veterinarians and clients. Um, it could be difficult to slow down and really hear someone when you know you're supposed to be somewhere else, right? And of course, our emotions can also prevent us from listening effectively at times. So, you know, being aware of that in ourselves and having coping strategies in place for when that's an issue is really important. And of course, the other overarching strategy to navigating difficulty is is having a commitment to making the relationship work, you know, between a veterinarian and their clients. So, you know, understand the limitations of the situation, you know, and then we're going to commit to doing what we can within those limitations. And we're going to accept the responsibility for the consequences of our decision making. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of that's really important. I think you mentioned um, 
uh, that you know there's competing interest for time and that can be the barrier for listening between vets and clients so do you have any suggestions for managing that because this is the the part you said about listening is very very true and if we have the capacity to listen to what you're saying uh, we can acknowledge that this is a big proponent of the relationship management yeah. And, you know, I think when it comes to time, you know, scheduling is everyone's friend to manage time efficiency. Right. Um, veterinarians can help by scheduling enough time and staff to handle the expected appointment load. And clients can help by booking their appointments accurately. Um, we get a lot of things like I booked for vaccines, but my dog hasn't eaten in a week appointments, you know, and that can really throw a monkey wrench into the works, you know, causing other pets to start stocking up in the waiting room. Um, also being late for an appointment can do the same thing. Um, we have to remember other people in the waiting room may have constraints on their time too, and they don't want to wait for their booked appointment time. Um, clients, of course, can leave themselves extra time for travel, be organized with their lists of concerns before any appointments. Um, but, you know, on the vet side, like if a pet is unexpectedly sick, you know, that can throw a monkey wrench into a client's day too, right? right? So you can always ask if your vet has extended hours or drop-off services where you could drop your pet at the clinic and pick them up later, remaining available for, you know, decision-making over the phone. Some vets also have walk-in services where you don't need an appointment to be seen. You can ask about that. And um, other strategies that can help clients with time constraints are maybe having someone else bring the pet in for them, you know, um, or using telemedicine to decide how urgent it is to get your pet in to be seen right away. And it also kind of helps to understand that your vet may have to triage their time, you know. During an appointment, don't be offended if they have to cut their conversation short because they're urgently needed elsewhere. Um, your vet might be able to connect with you again later or get another staff member to step in for now. And that staff member can give them the Coles Notes version of your concerns when they have some time later. And you can also ask for other accommodations that help with time constraints, maybe an email or a text message from your vet um, when they have time to send one and you have time to read it can be help too, helpful too. Daniel, before we wrap, any last thoughts on just the overall you know, understanding of this segment? Just one, it's not something we often consider, but you know, vets and presumably clients too kind of dread having difficulties with each other. Yeah. But I think we, we can look at that situation dif differently. You know, difficulties are actually an opportunity. In my experience, some of the most lo loyal clients are the ones who found themselves in difficult conversations with their vet at one time or another, you know, and overcoming those difficulties and soldiering on, you know, it leads to this trust and a stronger relationship mm -hmm. between vets and their clients. So really, that's a win-win for everybody. And if you kind of come at it from that perspective, you know, you really shouldn't dread it. Exactly. Repairing ruptures, as my therapist calls it. Thank you so much, Danielle. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Have a good week. All right. That was Danielle Johnkind joining us for Ask a Veterinarian. This is a weekly segment on Tuesdays, if you're joining us on Tuesday, that you can tune into. After the break, we have a bi-weekly conversation that we have with nutritionist Julia Karanchis, and she's talking about chili and all its mighty nutrients. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment.
You're checking in with Kelly and Rumia here on AMI. It's been a pleasure hanging out in Toronto, but it would be so much nicer to be somewhere else just because it's cold and rainy like every single day. Now, that's not true at all, actually. It, we've had a couple days of good sun, and so I dread the rainy weather even more because when the sun's out, I'm like, oh, yeah, but it's sunny out, so pretty. And uh, I look forward to as I said, refreshing my vacation days and being out of here. But in the meantime, of course, I love spending time with you as we continue with the show. Let's talk nutrition with Julia Karanchis. Hi, I'm Julia Karanchis. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. Obviously, I'm not just talking trash about the weather for no reason, Julia. <laughs> There's clearly a reason, um, and yeah, I do it every day on the show. But still, we're chatting about chili, not the weather, the food, but it's perfect because it's really cold and we should be eating chili. Everyone except I, Kelly. Yes, I thought the same thing. I thought this is the most appropriate day to have this conversation because it is so miserable outside and wet and that cold just seeps into your like into your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, today we're talking about chili. I love chili. There's so many things I love about chili besides eating it. It's such a versatile food. It's a great way to get in a lot of nutrients, also a lot of vegetables, which is always an added bonus. Um, And, you know, if you don't like kidney beans, you can add a chickpea or a black bean. Mm. If you don't like red meat, you can use ground turkey. If you don't like meat at all, you can use a melody of beans and add extra veggies. There's so many options based on personal preferences. So I find this a really versatile food and I thought it deserved, I thought it deserved a whole segment because I think it's so fabulous. Actually, I've never made a chili with just using one bean. Is that the norm to just use kidney beans? There are a lot. Okay. So I am not a cook naturally. And so I, I look up a lot of recipes, um, you know, like as a, hobby because I don't have that innate ability to create delicious food. So I do look at a lot of recipes and oftentimes it's just kidney beans that I see. It's, you know, I personally usually do two beans or I'll do a black bean chili. I like chickpeas. I add them often, but kidney beans seems to always be the star and it's not uncommon. I don't want to say it's normal, but it's not uncommon for the recipe to just call for a kidney bean. Okay, that this is the first time I've really thought about it because any other time or any time I've made chili, uh, it's been just a medley of beans. So I'm really curious about it. But let's talk about the beans. Um, mm-hmm. What's so great about them? Well, they are a great source of carbohydrate, which is the most macronutrient you're going to get from them. But they're also a great source of vegan protein. And we've talked about protein before. It's such a key component to any meal. It's excellent to help balance blood sugar and give energy. So the beans offer a vegan protein, which is excellent. They also add fiber, which we know our diet is really lacking in. Fiber is good for colon health, heart health, the satiety of the the meal. So it allows you to feel full but not bloated after you've eaten. They also are a source of many vitamins and minerals, such as Mm. molybdenum, folate, potassium, copper. 
Um, and the nice thing about the beans is that we can buy them cooked in a can. So they don't require extra work, which I'm always for convenience. I think it's, you know, it allows a lot of people to cook on a regular basis. Um, so it really cuts down on prep time. So it's something that we can keep on hand for longer periods of time, you know, one of those pantry staples. So beans have a lot going for them. They give us a lot of fiber and a lot of micronutrients, like all of those vitamins and minerals. Right, exactly. So a medley of beans probably going to offer you even more of that profile, right? More of the different right. kinds of nutrients. Nice. So let's talk about another key component of chili, which is the ground beef. Now you mentioned, you know, if you don't, yeah. if you're not a fan of red meat, use this, use that. Uh, but do you want to talk more in detail about these substitutions versus the beef? Yeah, absolutely. So I understand a lot of people either don't eat meat or choose not to even eat red meat. And that's perfectly acceptable. But I don't want the meat eaters to start feeling guilty about the fact that they're still eating it. So let's just chat about that red meat for a bit. Red meat offers a lot of iron, a great dose of iron. It also offers a great dose of B12 and zinc. Zinc is important this time of year. It's really good for your immune system. It's also good for wound healing. B12 is excellent for energy, as is iron. And so using the red meat would offer your body a great dose of those key nutrients. But if you don't eat red meat, then you can use ground turkey um, or ground chicken. That would also be a great substitute. And they still offer very similar doses of protein. So you wouldn't be sacrificing any protein by switching the meat. And also if you used extra lean um, cuts uh, or ground options of both, the you know, the fat content actually doesn't differ as much as I think people might think that it would. So that's okay as well. And then each meat does have its own benefit. So we talked about the high content of zinc and B12 and iron in red meat. Ground turkey gives you some of that as well, just not quite as much. But then ground turkey would give you a higher dose of some of the other B vitamins that you wouldn't get in the same amount mm. as if you ate the, the beef component. Um, and B vitamins are also good for energy. So again, lots of options there. If you don't eat red meat, then you can eat the chicken or the turkey. And you don't need to be worried that you're sacrificing on the nutritional level because protein-wise, it's still there. And they are each unique in their own micronutrient makeup. So all of it would be a benefit. Uh, and speaking of benefits, I know that a lot of people like to mix in the pork with the beef. It, does yeah. this help or hurt the situation in your Yeah. Opinion? Yeah, I make hamburger patties and meatballs with a mix of the yeah. pork and the beef. I like the texture better. I think it's a lot nicer. I think it would just be a personal preference. Okay. All right, that sounds good. And then if you don't eat meat at all, can you just skip yeah. it and just do the mean, bean medley, as you said? Absolutely skip it. If you don't eat meat at all, there's a couple of things you could do. And again, this is one of the many reasons I like chili. Um, yeah, you can use a variety of beans. So instead of starting with that pound of ground beef, you're maybe starting with a can of kidney beans. And then to that can of kidney beans, you're doing pinto beans and then a can of chickpeas. Um, you can also find canned beans that are already in a melody of beans. So you don't have to buy a bunch of different cans. You can just buy bean melody which is also fantastic for bean salad so if you end up making chili and you don't love it then just make yourself a bean salad with the rest of the cans that you might have left <laughs> in your pantry mm -hmm. um 
Uh, so that even makes it easier. And then furthermore, if you don't want to overload your chili with beans, because sometimes they can be hard to digest if you eat them in large quantities, you could use crumbled tofu. Right. So this, yeah, and this would be great for protein content for the chili, but it would also offer something different texturally. So you could, you know, if it's crumbled, it would have a little bit of the ground meat essence to it and that crumbled. Um, and again, really high source of protein. So you could add all of it or just a couple of the options. And nowadays you can get like beyond meat that's um, ground. Yes. Right, ground beyond yeah, meat. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you, and there's like the textured vegetable protein. There's yeah, the beyond meat options. There's, there's actually a lot of there's so much out there alternatives now. that yes. you could be adding. Especially mm-hmm. for the texture part, because you, if you want yes. to have that feeling of ground meat in your chili. And also, yeah. because we are going to talk about the vegetable parts next, um, what are some complementary vegetables that we can add that won't make it feel like we're just going to make vegetable soup now? Ve- vegetable and, soup, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, too, like mushrooms as an option, yay or nay. Yeah, okay. This is, I love chat. I feel like chatting about chili and vegetables can get really heated depending Mm -hmm. on who you're having this discussion (laughs) with. You know, like I, my sister-in-law doesn't like kidney beans. So she makes her chili without kidney beans and has a ton of vegetables in it. Um, And it's very tomato-y. My chili, I like beans. I put them in. I have it less tomato-y, more like chili seasoning with the ground beef. Is it even chili without beans? Does your sisters have yeah. any beans in it? No. Oh, okay. I know. I know. I don't know if this yeah. classifies as chili anymore, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but I find when you add vegetables, you know, it can get controversial. Well, that doesn't belong in chili. Right. So, you know, onion, I think, is the obvious one that goes in it. Also, you know, it cooks down so soft and you can chop it so finely that you wouldn't even notice. And then my other picks would be zucchini. Again, it cooks down pretty soft. It adds a little bit of a crunch, but not too much. I did put mushrooms on the list. I love mushrooms. I like the texture of them, which I know a lot of people do not, and that's okay. My partner hates them. And so I put them in because I do also like the flavor and I chop them really fine. And then they, and I put meat in my chili. So between the meat and the beans, I, and the onion, the finely chopped mushrooms get very lost and mm. they don't, you know, they go unnoticed. Um, green pepper, I also really like in Me chili too. because I find, yeah, I like it. It it also doesn't overcook as easily as other vegetables. So it retains its, you know, shape and texture when you eat it a little bit nicer. And then corn. And corn is great because corn you can keep frozen. So Again, that one is hit and miss with people because it turns it sometimes into more like of a Mexican inspired. I was gonna dish, say, but... yeah, you got to feel yeah. kind of, um, uh, you know, like a growth mindset with your chili if you have corn. Yeah. In, it, in, my, yeah. in my well, opinion, I, I know, I know. I did do a Mexican chili where I I only used black beans and then I put corn in it. Oh, that does. And sound then good, you though. just had it was good, and then I put some cheese on top with avocado, and it was delicious um you know again versatile so i i like corn and plus i like that it can be frozen and just added into it so if you don't have fresh zucchini or any other fresh vegetables to add you could at least add the corn and have something 
in it. But I mean, really, it's up to you. Whatever vegetables you like, you can put in. These are just the ones that I think complement the chili Fair. the best and also don't overpower it. So you can still, you know, have the essence of the chili flavorings. Yeah, and I appreciate all the different elements you brought, right? Like the consistency, is it compromising the consistency? Like, do we really right. want strips of uh, carrot in our chili? No, probably not. And then also yes. you're pointing out the traditional way of versus how people do expand and, and kind of uh, play around with chili. And I, I really do think you can kind of go anywhere with it, not as, as yeah. experimental as like a salad bowl or something, but nonetheless, uh, you can make slight changes. Like my chili is pretty spicy and I don't think that's normal. Um, any... <laughs> Anything else you want to say on the balanced meal part before we wrap? I Yeah, I just, you know, again, to prove my case with the chili, um, it provides carbs, it provides like carbohydrates, it provides fiber, it provides protein and various micronutrients, which are really what help us live a vibrant lifestyle. And they are what allow us to function optimally. So I would encourage people to, you know, give it a go and try a couple of different variations. Nice. Julia, I love it. Thank you so much for bringing up chili. I'm thinking you can bring it up again later, you know, just to I will. do a part yes. two. Yeah. Okay. No <laughs> yeah, ulterior motives absolutely. here. Okay. <laughs> Nutritionist Julia Caranch is joining us every other week uh, to, of course, talk nutrition. And today's conversation was on chili. After the break, we're checking in with Marianne Kerr. She's the CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Foundation. She's going to chat with us about how they, the organization, is helping families in need during this holiday season with an annual toy and clothing drive that you can take part in. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramia. Thanks for tuning in here on AMI. Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amuthan, we're the hosts of today's show. And we are looking ahead to the holidays. We like doing this in all kinds of aspects for a lot of the fun. Like yesterday, we talked a lot about theater and performances and things going on around the country that you can check out as the holidays approach. But also, let's talk about some of the difficult conversations and the difficult experiences that people uh, may have, various circumstances that people have as well around the holidays. The holiday season can be exceptionally difficult for families in need, and the Peel Children's Aid Foundation Holiday Wishes for All campaign is underway now to help uh, this kind of circumstance. So they have a toy and clothing drive that we want to talk about now, and we're going to be speaking more about it with Marianne Kerr, CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Foundation. Uh, to talk about what we can do to help improve these circumstances and situations for children and families in need. Marianne, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ramya. I'm glad that we're focusing on this with you. Can we first chat about Peel Children's Aid Foundation, what it is, what is it that the work you do? Sure. Uh, we've been around, this is our 20th year uh, in existence, and uh, our job is to raise funds for the Peel Children's Aid Society. 
uh, and the Peel Children's Aid Society serves one of the most diverse populations uh, in the country, certainly in Ontario. Uh, and uh, last year, there were about uh, just over 10,000 uh, calls that they responded to. Uh, and from that, uh, they were able to, to do about 98% of their work in the homes of the, the children, youth and families uh, that they serve. So our job is to help raise money for the things that government doesn't fund. And I'm sorry, I've been mm. saying foundation, so society. Yeah. Okay. No, we're the foundation. Okay, okay. Do, yeah, no, you got it right. Um, you know, I, I, this question, especially in the last few years, we say, well, gee, of course it's a tough time. I, it, everything is a tough time. But I think what I'm looking for here as we discuss why the ho holidays are a particularly tough time, Marianne, is why particularly this year and in what way? Yeah. Well, I think that we've all been hearing the news, obviously, uh, about the fact that um, we're in some form of a recession. Uh, these are difficult economic times. Uh, mm -hmm. The number of people using food banks has increased tremendously. Right. Uh, and, you know, holidays, whether you were celebrating uh, Diwali uh, uh, 10 days or so ago, uh, or uh, you're, you're coming up for Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa, they're times of the year when typically we're expecting it to be joyful, right? We're, we're spending it with family. Uh, we have lights surrounding us, all of these kinds of positive things. But if you're struggling uh, with the day-to-day, -day, right, of, of trying to keep food on the table, a roof over your kids' heads, making sure you have warm winter clothing, um, the, the idea of gifts is sort of secondary you know it's 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 you're hopeful that you'll be able to do that but you're you're making pretty tough choices already with limited ability to to fulfill them yeah and you've you've laid out circumstances here marianne that um you know we used to maybe think of it as uh people in need as a, a category of themselves but what i think is happening in the last several years too is that we're becoming more empathetic because it could easily be any of us any of us listening any of us um who are experiencing all or some parts of the things that you're describing yeah that's right and i think it's interesting i, I love that you posed it that way or positioned it that way because you know um, especially for the children and youth that are involved with uh, with a, a children's aid or child welfare organization, of which there are 50 in the province of Ontario, um, you know, they're dealing with some of the toughest circumstances of their young lives. Mm. Uh, they're very defining times, and it, it can happen uh, to anyone in any socioeconomic background, uh, fr from any cultural background. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it, and also, you know, we have this thing called the working poor right. right i mean yeah and it's it's just it's just getting worse so yeah we're i think if you've never had to make a choice between uh you know paying for your heating bill or or rent or food uh and something has to give then this is your chance to give back right and, and yep. to help others yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's such a disparity now because Things aren't just a little more expensive. Things aren't just a little tighter. It's choking people off. I mean, we've always heard, hey, make ends needs, pick up a little extra something in the way of work, maybe around Christmas time. Then things progress to where now it's just almost impossible, even if you are able and have the means to do some of those other things, man. It's really tough. 
Yeah, Kelly, that's exactly right. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things we've been trying to do, um, you know, we do talk about a toy drive and a clothing drive, but this year we're actually really focused on financial donations and financial support. Because, you know, I, I, if you if you stop to think about kind of one of the happiest moments you've mm. had when you've given someone a gift and it was exactly the right gift and that sense of joy you got from giving the right gift, mm. right? Because you're, you were able to express Something your they love needed. for those folks. That's yeah. right. But what we want to do is we want to give the young people and the families we work with, we want to give them the opportunity to choose for themselves, right? If we can provide, if we get cash donations, we can provide our families with gift cards uh, so they can choose. Do I need right. to, do I need to spend it on dinner or do I need yep. to get gifts or, you know, it's, it's so much more, um, you know, it's about agency, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us what you're looking for then, or what uh, kinds of donations and offerings are you accepting, um, the toy and clothing drive specifically? Yeah, so we knew uh, new clothing and new toys um, from the age of infant right up to, um, we actually have uh, young people right up to the age of 23 uh, who, who are part of um, the work that uh, Peel Children's Aid Society does. Uh, so, so any kind of um, clothing and, uh, and uh, warm clothing really is the critical thing for us. Um, and it's generally winter coats because we do have, um, we have a warehouse, we have a distribution center where we have um we do have hats and we have mittens but we are really low this year on uh good warm uh winter clothing okay and it's interesting too when you talk about the days when you'd say to somebody gee i don't know what to get you for christmas and you'll know, say well a gift certificate or some money oh i'm not gonna do that and now we need it people have kind of got past that but let people judge what they need you know instead of just saying well they'll either use it or they won't and you know when we're talking people who are in the need in that way who just as much as i do or anybody else the next person have their own pride to let them make their choices and and do that with that being said is this something we should see a little more thought about whether it's on government level, on other agency level, what needs to change on that systematic level? Oh, what a good question. Well, you know, the number I keep hearing, I've, I've been doing this work in this particular uh, organization for about six months, is that in the province of Ontario, the child welfare system is underfunded by about $27 million. So there is a systemic need for more government funding, absolutely. Uh, and I think um, we want to try and focus on prevention, right? So the more, uh, so when I said there were about over 10,000 calls last year um, of that only 150 although only sounds like the wrong word but 150 mm -hmm. children <laughs> who were in care right so that means that you know through preventative measures um, we were able to be uh, be there so that families could stay together and as a kid that happened to me I had a visit from the, the Children's Aid Society and they helped me and my siblings stay together with my mom and I believe that was a transformative moment in my life. I mean, I, I can't imagine how different my life would have been if that hadn't been the case. And the thing is, Marianne, in all honesty, we'll, the people who are donating, those of us who are um, giving to the toy and clothing drive or financial donations, whatever it may be, we may not understand or directly connect with the other end of it, right? Whoever is right. receiving our donation. It's just not always possible, or at least not with every initiative. Um, so 
what should we keep in mind? You already touched on a couple of these things, um, you know, in terms of intention, but what else mm -hmm. can we keep in mind? Because I think it's, it's incredible when we can just go within ourselves, as you pointed out with your own experience, to say like, hey, what did it mean to me growing up to have gifts, to have a good holiday season, to understand, um, you know, what it's like to feel the festivities? Yeah, I think one of the things we can really do is connect with um, our coworkers, with our friends, with our family. We all have networks, right? Um, and and ask if they want to be part of something together. Build a I sense of community, that. all right, around raising money for for the foundation. Because uh, honestly, I, I think we get as much by doing that as, if not more, than the folks who are on the receiving end of things. And I think sometimes we forget how much work it is to be the person receiving. It's mm -hmm. hard to need. It's hard to to stand up and say, you know what, I need to go to a food bank this week in order to yeah. feed my family. It takes great humility, um, and we want to give people as much dignity as possible in this process. We're working together. We're working alongside, uh, and so that's really the reason we're uh, promoting that move, you know, because we've always been about toys, new toys, and new uh, coats, and we still need them, but it's part of the reason we're moving towards cash and, and gift cards because we want to give people choice, um, and we want people to feel that that this is it's up to them to decide what they yeah. need. Exactly. The who knows better than themselves. We've had people on here from food banks before. And one of the things they talk about is, of course, as we get out of the season, get into January, maybe you, maybe even further down, March into the summer, and food kind of donations trickle off a little bit, which, of course, is a, is a big issue and a concern. So I'm curious, we're talking about the holidays, but how can we help kids and families all year round, Marianne? Yeah, Another great, another great point, Kelly. So this campaign, our goal is to raise uh, $350,000. Last year, we raised about two sixty, dollars uh, and it helps us to do this work all year long, uh, and it's helping with every holiday that our families are celebrating. Uh, I think we're about, we have almost 70% of the population in Peel region um, is culturally diverse. Uh, so we, we are doing this work all year round. Uh, so this is our, this is just our busy drive, right? Because we figure people are more generous. Statistically speaking, people are more generous uh, at the end of the year. Some people yes. need to make donations because of tax reasons. Uh, that's never been my issue <laughs> for me, but you know. Um, but more giving though. They, people are honestly yeah. in more of a giving mode. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So we're working on this year round, no matter uh, no matter what the holiday, uh, no matter when the need is, and and very often for our families, it's kind of a middle of the night need. Uh, and if we're able to provide a family with the food, culturally appropriate food, for instance, and that's the other reason a gift card is great, because sometimes a food bank just has what they have, mm. uh, and it's not what somebody's family is really going to eat right so um it's really critically important if we get the donations we can support them it's diapers it's toiletries it's right. it's just the everyday things that families need oh my gosh along with gifts so yep. many great examples yep. and so much good intention marianne thank you so much for your time thank you so much for having us all the best with everything, and I Thank hope you. we all take away something um, precious from this conversation. We were speaking with Marianne Kerr, CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Foundation, and we were talking about helping families in need during the holiday season. Can you we, imagine those things that people just don't even think 
and trying to make donations instead of just simply mm -hmm. if they had the people had the money or the gift certificate to go out and get those toiletries or whatever. And exactly. there's so many things that we, as generous as we might want to be, will leave off of that list and yep. not and even think about. Culturally appropriate rings very you true bet. as well. Very much. We have a second hour of the show coming your way in this edition, talking voices later on in the show with Jacob Shemansky. He's technical producer for AMI-audio. Also, Young Wung is joining us to talk about gender differential uh, inequalities, and she's going to talk about some personal experience and some learnings from things that have uh, come across her way. But up next, students and staff at a local elementary school in Medicine Hat, Alberta, are getting the opportunity to learn about a variety of disabilities later this month. And community reporter Tony Farmer is going to tell us all about that after the break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Well, we haven't gone anywhere. We're only now kicking off the second hour of Kelly and Ramia with Kelly McDonald, Ramia Amathan. We're here to keep you entertained and informed. It's part of our mission, right, here at AMI Kels? You trying out the new Outlook yet? <laughs> the new Outlook. That's where I am. The new Outlook. Oh, oh, I guess of not. You're company? one of those Mac or... people, right? Oh, Outlook. God. I don't even oh, use the company. I do not use Outlook <laughs> at all. Sorry, is that I've what you default to? I've been warned about to? this. You default to the Outlook client as your mail and calendar yeah. and all this stuff. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. use it. Mm -mm. Well, again, that depends on what garbage we put in Teams, right? Because Teams is our our blind friendly uh, program. Say garbage. Yeah. Uh, um. I use the default. Did I use the word in the wrong spot? <laughs> That's just our opinion. Sorry, Teams I folks. I use by default all the um, clients that just come with the Mac. So right. the calendar right. client, the mail client, uh, the messages client, whatever. But I, I've never, I've tried Outlook. It's just dragged on and on to, to, and I, my patience has slimmed. I keep getting this little notification. We'll try the new Outlook. And one of our coworkers told me, Oh, you're going to have to. Have you tried it yet? I said, no, but going to have to uh, means AMI says going to have to. Mm. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll make the adjustment now so I can do all my screaming and crying now and get it over with. Yeah. But we know that'll go on and on yeah, and on. I'll, exactly. I'll keep screaming it's not going to help any. It's not going to get over with. <laughs> At least Folks. I have the excuse to just continue <laughs> using the Mac. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Mac. Yeah. Uh, we've got a different upgrade to the client for yeah. mail there, too. <laughs> Folks, it's time to check in with one of our community reporters. Tony Freimark joins us uh, with news from Medicine Hat, Alberta. Tony, welcome back. Hi, guys. Well, I'm glad I don't have to use Outlook. I'm going to stick with Gmail. Ah. Well, I just love how this Don't thing comes up. I'm kidding. Go uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> I, I, we're, we're really making friends with the people of Microsoft no, Windows. Uh, um, yeah, I just love how this thing comes up as soon as I get into the menu bar. It's like, try the new Outlook. No, no, I'm not a good try the new anything person. Tony, will you try new stuff? Or are you kind of like, forget it? Um, I'm pretty much set my my old ways. I mean, if I if I have to try it. The latest and greatest, then th then I have to, I guess. But I'll stick with the old. So I'm helping Rummy out here. She's making a list of some of the old phrases. So I would say then <laughs> some would say to you, are you a curmudgeon? 
So rum, put that okay, on your I'll list just too. Google there. search that a real curmudgeon. quick. Yeah, right. curmudgeon. Go. Yeah, we'll discuss other things a little more important than curmudgeon. But Canada Disability Benefit, an online engagement tool to gather input from all Canadians. This is open from November fifteenth till December twenty first, twenty twenty three. Want to touch on this a little bit, Tony, for us? Yeah. So what this is is it has been passed that people. They don't want people with disabilities like living in poverty. So the way that it's working right now is from the input of people with disabilities and like their caregivers and, you know, people that are, are in their, in their little circle or whatever. So they're trying to figure out who will get this benefit and how much how much the benefit will be mm -hmm. so yeah you can fill out the surveys and if people have difficulties in any way filling out the surveys you can get a hold of the alberta ability network i know they would be willing to help with that but that is pretty neat that something like this has been has been passed just figuring out the logistics of it the final the final uh, things, right? So, I uh, it's a it was a lot of uh, a lot of work to to get as far as we are in this, from what mm -hmm. I have been told. So, kudos to everybody that stepped up and and is making this possible. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things you think. People here, well, persons working and they have a disability and a lot of time people say, well, hold on, what about those who aren't working? Well, we obviously don't want anyone on any level working, not working with a disability, with a living, uh, you know, hand, uh, hand to mouth, if you want to call it that, another old term. But it's that worried about people struggling and why should life, there should be more to life than having to struggle day to day. The other thing when we talk about people, whether they're working or you know, have a disability or not working with a disability is the extra costs. There's always a little more. And people will say, well, hold on a sec, if I have to take a taxi to work or if I, but we're talking aids that people may have to go out and buy, may not be able to qualify for certain funding for certain things or chase it down or something they need to get today and, and they can't go through the paperwork and get it in a month when everything's processed and the item's sent to them. There's so many reasons where that extra money, that extra support, that extra immediacy of help is so important, Tony. So uh, I yeah, know that people working on yeah. this, it's really been a struggle for them to kind of be fair or think of what's going to be fair. Yeah. No, it, it's, sorry. it's really... You, it's sorry, really... I cut you off. Did you? No, we're good. All right. Okay. I, did, I thought you had another comment and I didn't mean to cut you off there as I was finishing it up, but it is, it's interesting. And I love the idea that people are going to be able to get this feedback in. Um, I, I always find things aren't long enough, you know, maybe we, you know, I'm not saying yeah, drag it into the new year and stuff like that on the feedback, but you really want to make sure people get enough time, but we'll take it right as, as is. We will. Yeah. And the thing is, is I did, I didn't realize this, but people in Alberta are actually like for the ACE program, the assist of income for the severely handicapped are getting more money than any other any other province, and that's seventeen eighty six a month. And people are expected to live off off that or less mm -hmm. in other yeah. provinces. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see 
see where this goes. Tony, there's some fun stuff happening, um, also educational, because the International Day of Persons with Disabilities is coming up. That's every year on the 3rd of December. But there's a celebration going on in Medicine Hat. It's called Notice the Ability. It's at Mother Teresa School, and it's on November 30th. So is this a, a significant one for the community? It really is. Like, yeah, every year they pick an elementary school and... There's a committee, a subcommittee that gets together and organizes this. So we have activities from, it all starts with somebody singing Oh Canada to a video of, of this event. And then there's different activities throughout the day in the school. So there'll be like bocha, there'll be people learning about hearing disabilities, sign language. It, it's it's amazing the, the amount of feedback that come back from those kids and from the people that are part of uh, IDPD. They, they bring stuff back to their families. Mm-hmm. We have little, um, you know, bags with certain things in from that day that they can take home and just learning that people with disabilities can do what they want and learning how they how they do the stuff that they need to do throughout their days it's really really neat i i took part in it before as well oh nice teaching kids braille and it's just it's so neat to, to see the kids just light up and yeah, they they did it virtually before too, but now it's it's all in person. So it's an afternoon of of fun and learning. Well, it sounds like it's pretty well rounded because yeah, as you mentioned, the goalball, the bocce, sledge hockey. Did you say sledge hockey? Yes. Um, yeah. But also just the attitudinal things, right? So how to look for abilities empathizing how to modify activities so people can participate uh and you're talking vision loss and all these other things not just vision loss obviously around the table that's what we're curious about because of lived experience Mm -hmm. but there's a lot tony that in high school and earlier um to have these conversations with students about what it looks like to include students with disabilities into class, into social circumstances, um, is just the biggest deal. Like, it's the biggest deal when I was in high school at an integrated school and going through the transitions of being a teenager, but also a teenager with a disability, and then um, having, like, uncomfortable sometimes, but educational conversations with my peers around feeling included. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, and you participated last year. So this year, what's going on with you? Like, are you personally involved? I'm not, not this okay. year, no. But it's a good thing to shout out. Nice. It, it, it sounds it really like it. Good. Yeah. Really great. Uh, Tony, let's talk about the benefits of labeling appliances in Braille. So, yeah, back when I was growing up, because I learned Braille from when I was four years old and used it through my education until I was in grade seven. And my mom learned it alongside with me. And what she did is she would label the appliances within the home. So I would learn where the appliances were. And, you know, this says this in Braille. So it helped me learn 
learn Braille as well. And we had that same fridge for my whole childhood. We had it since we don't have any more, obviously, because it was still like in the old house. But I don't know. I just think that's a that's a cool way to to get to not just learn your atmosphere, but learn Braille as well. And it was with my mom, right? So it's pretty yeah. neat. Oh, yeah. It's cool that your mom wanted to do that. And now I wonder if the people in the uh, old house, if they've learned Braille too, since they have a refrigerator. We got to figure this out. We got to learn the Braille. I did it with a, <laughs> with a microwave. And it was wonderful, right? And, you know, it's funny you say that because I was never a real strong Braille uh, user when I was in school. I mean, I do Braille, but uh, I still say I'm, I'm I'm not strong at it. But it helped a lot with me having to. I guess if I wanted to eat or warm up my food, it was a good uh, incentive to make sure I understood my Braille and understood what I was doing. But when you put it in a real-life situation like that, Tony, you can't help yourself then, especially a little kid at eight, nine years old having to learn it. Like you say, you know, school can only do so much, but it's those real life things. I mean, so many people who can see learn their spelling and their letters and everything and words and by just reading signs. Yeah. I could, I could you know? totally do the labeling of the microwave still in Braille right now. I should do that. You know, yeah. Did yeah, you just you know do what? the like, live dot and the cook dot or how did you do that, Kelly? Uh, I actually, I had different short form because I had the grade two Braille, so I was pretty good there. But a lot of it was being creative with your short forms, too, and oh, okay. you had to do it, right? To, so that you would know day of time, you know, or, or the date and TD or whatever. Uh, Tony, awesome. <laughs> well, no one else will be able to read it. It becomes like a spy code. That's right. Thanks, yeah. Tony. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, We'll guys. talk to you next month. Tony Frymark, our community reporter in Medicine Hat, Alberta, with great items. Curmudgeon. If you're wondering how to spell curmudgeon, it's C-U-R-M-U-D-G-E-O-N. Is a crusty, irascible, cantorous old person. Cantankerous. Cantankerous. Oh, my God. Yes, cantankerous old person, full of stubborn ideas. A golden ager. Old person, oldster, senior citizen, elderly person. Anyways, this is what I found on Google. Doesn't have to be old, though. That's a term That's they should fix that. That's what it said. Don't That's point fingers. What it said. <laughs> After the break, <laughs> Young Wang is joining us to talk about gender differentials and the introduction of inequalities based on these. We'll be right back. told you yesterday that I want us to start doing word of the days again, right? But I... Uh, yeah, but you never used to do well at that. It's like know, me with quizzes, right? That. But hey, listen, it's okay. We're doing better. So curmudgeon Just led us into tell Eliza that. Eliza always makes you do work with that darn word of the day. Okay, sorry. Let's hear, let's hear your description here. Is now uh, what we're looking up because that was part of curmudgeon. To understand curmudgeon, we needed to get to cantankerous. And cantankerous is bad-tempered, argumentative, and uncooperative. So if we take the old person out of it, you're saying that uh, I can That's have Ramya for short. Tankerous qualities. Yeah, you're, it just just changed the word to Ramya. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Curmudgeon. Uh, old Ramya. And part type. of curmudgeon <laughs> is Ramya like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's Anyways, like. Anyways, wow. 
before we before we start battling here, let's move on. You hear on. that, guys? Okay. Argumentative. Do you believe that? Let's oh, move look on. while the hands go up. I am trying to bring peace back to the show after the word of the day. Oh, after after your name, sure, I would do try to bring peace back by bringing right, on Young Wang. Let's get into this conversation. Hi, I'm Yang Wang. I'm a blogger, disability advocate, and immigrant social innovator. Join me to explore challenges and changes in our community on Kelly and Remia. Yang, we're getting into a pretty serious discussion with you. I mean, I would love to generalize and say that we often get into serious discussions with you this time around. Um, but you know, it's really about the learning and the growth, and you bring a lot of personal experience to that as well. Today, you want to talk about gender differential introduced inequality. So that's a big phrase in and of itself. But what is it for you? Why did you want to bring this up? Um. Yeah, because uh, I read an article recently, and also uh, this year's Nobel uh, uh, Nobel Prize winner mm-hmm. for economics uh, did research on this, uh, you know, gender mm-hmm. gap as well, and yes. makes me uh, yeah notice all this um, innate difference between men and women, and that difference uh, it, you cannot say it's good is it's worse or better they're just different but this difference uh lead to some inequality in their pay like a wage gap or their um uh, social economic status so that's because of their uh, natural difference so i call this as gender differential introduced inequalities yeah. Very good. And it. it's interesting mm-hmm. because I heard that too when, of course, the announcement was made, Nobel uh, Peace Prize. And it's one of those things I always react to because you brought up the thing that really I don't understand, don't want to understand. What do you mean someone is not paid equally for the same job what, based on their sex? I've never understood that any more than obviously a person with a disability or a minority, somebody else, you know, maybe a, a person of color doesn't get the same as as someone who who's not. So we, we stop, we throw our hands up in the air and say, yeah, man, that's not right. But it still goes around, and this has been isolated for years, that people not getting paid uh, males, females uh, equivalently. So tremendous that you brought that this up. Uh, what else triggered your interest in this particular topic? Uh, so, so you you mentioned like uh, same job uh, but different pay, but uh, what uh, we're going to talk about today is not uh, like uh, so you do the same job you get the same pay, but even uh, because of that gender difference, say women tend to uh, care, I mean spend more time uh, on family like uh, rearing uh, children, right? right. So they are less. They spend less time in companies. Uh, that way, uh, they get less paid or like got less promotions. Uh, that's what's in um, this uh, Nobel laureate uh, Claudia Golding's uh, research uh, founding. Uh, so, at first sight, you would think, hey, that 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 is not a systemic uh, discrimination, right? You spend less the time you uh, commit less then you get less pay so what's the problem um but 
the the difference uh in gender difference so uh we just read an article so at east and west learning connections we have a monthly program the english uh, literature lecture mm-hmm. and uh, recently this month we read an article by uh, deborah tennant she is a, a very famous uh, american author and uh, a professor of linguistics at georgetown university so this article titled The Power of Talk, Who Gets Hurt and Why. Uh, in this like new uh, article, she uh, explores, like share her findings uh, in research on differences in the way people talk, um, uh, like, and how it's different between uh, gender role uh, and how that difference influence your like promotion chances or how, how much uh, you you get paid um so in her research um women tend to uh, talk more like with more uh how to say they they care more about uh, developing um, rapport instead of establishing authority mm. so when they when they give orders, say, to their staff, right, they, they tend to downplay their um, superiority. They, they try to, you know, take care of other people's feelings, save other people's face, try to uh, sound more equal. While men uh, cares more about uh, establishing their authority. Uh, they want to be, you know, one uh, position upper instead of look like lower um well you know kelly you you are the only male here (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong this is a kind of generalization but uh, yeah um, you know according to data so men women like they tend to they have the tendency that on average like everybody differs right but well, you're, you're right. But I think some of that is also, again, we go back to the role we place on different people, uh, on males or females or younger or older. You're, you're, you are supposed to have at this point in life this, these desires and this ambition in this way. It's OK if you're not expected to have emotion or do this. You're a guy. You know, those kinds of weird things that we lock into our minds. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think young, a lot of time we play by those rules, even when we try to fight ourselves and say, no, I'm I'm allowed to cry over this sad movie. I am allowed to be ambitious. It doesn't matter if I'm a female. I want to, as opposed to I have to step on people. I have to push by to get people to notice me. There's classy ways of doing everything, and we all need our ambition. We all need to know when to step back. But sex isn't, to me, what should tell us that. But unfortunately... It drives all of us in what stereotypes, what we are painted into. It's really just gender norms, right? Certainly. And whether they're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They can lead us into trouble. We have these social norms. But uh, um, like social norms develop uh, for a reason. Um, So actually in her study, uh, like uh, why... Is this difference because uh, it, it's it steps from your childhood. So uh, in when we were young kids, we we tend to uh, play 
with same sex. So girls with girls, boys with go- uh, boys. Mm-hmm. And there are some um, pattern. So this is quite naturally developed, uh, not really uh, social norm related, or maybe we, we, we don't know yet, but uh, at least in her research. So girls, when they play together, they tend to, you know, one-on-one, they, they, they talk a lot mm-hmm. uh, and they care much about uh, being the uh, same being the same to be recognized while boys they tend to play together in a big group and they'll you know they'll uh they'll uh be labeled less as like bossy if you really you know boast off right or uh, show some kind of aggression because they need to establish this uh, order uh so it's different and that uh that difference uh, grow into adulthood. Uh, so women, when they talk, uh, they care more about this uh, equality. Um, and say they they tend to listen more, they interrupt less. Uh, while, you know, male, <laughs> they, they do the opposite, I mean, on average. And say uh, women, they, they do not... Um, they, they ask questions, uh, but see, you know, when you get lost, uh, I do find men would seldom ask questions that they want to figure it out themselves, because probably, I don't know, Kelly, what is your thought? They they might, like, uh, a fear, losing faith. Well, I just want to jump in here and say, like, there's a huge difference of um, mm-hmm. our knowledge of patriarchy versus matriarchy, right? And a lot of times there is this, um, I don't know if you would call it a conversation really, but there's this debate of like, if we had rebuilt society in a matriarchal way, then does that, does that just mean women are on top instead of men? Because obviously, historically, and as we know it socially, economically, and all, politically, in all of these different ways, in all of these different uh, power structures and dynamics young, and I'm sure that, you know, you're your reading has led to these things as well, it is men on top. That's how we view patriarchy. That's how it's presented. And that's why there's all of these feminist movements and, and slow but deliberate change happening. Uh, whereas if the reverse was the truth, if we had been built on a matriarchal society primarily, that the world would not be as we know it, but with the opposite of just women being on top. And well, matriarchy, and, and gonna, matriarchy gotta, in all of its forms, as we know it in different parts of nature, for example, you know, like elephants and, and herds of elephants and elephants having a matriarchal uh, system, it's just a different sense of society, a more empathetic or more equal or, uh, you know, a caregiving society. Now, I'm not saying any of this is true or false. This is not really a stance. It's just more of a conversation to look at what the opposite would be to, again, talk about these characteristics of or gender norms of women versus, you know, uh, I guess, nature of women and men. So now if you look at movies and TV and things that we see in our society, I will say to you that whenever we have a matriarch of a family, for example, that strong character, the lady in charge often seems to be, takes a lot of the characters of strength that we associate with men. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think that's so us as an audience, us as a consumer, us as some to relate the strength. We need to see the characteristics as if that was a male head of the family or head of what have you. So it's very interesting. And it's interesting you bring up the animals because and, and again, if we if it, the world was different, because that not necessarily as much as we'll say, oh, the, the, the woman's the dominant, the, the, right. the black widow spider eats her, you know, whatever. OK, but it is very interesting because not all is going to work that way. You're going to have joint relationships. You're going to have where the, the woman, the, the, the female is the leader. And things like that without what the human biases coming in, right? Like? Yes. Right. Yes. And, and and that, but for us to relate to it in most terms in North America, we see, okay, just take those characteristics and put it on the female head of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not at all accurate because not, now we are just all. taking patriarchy well, as we know it and saying, just flip it. You know, that's what that's it would right. look like. And we're like doing our stereotypes yeah. again. Again, exactly. Young, we have to wrap yeah, it there. It was such, yeah. such an intriguing <laughs> conversation, though, and I wish we could talk about it more maybe next time or uh, sometime down the line. But appreciate you bringing this to the table. Sure. Thank you. Yang Wang is a freelance journalist. She's also an advocate in many ways, and she brings a lot of intriguing topics to the table when she joins us on the third Tuesday of every month on Kelly and Ramia. Uh, also on the third Tuesday, we have voices. Now, this is an opportunity for people to share their passions, their goals, their roles with us. And just basically, we, we put them up. We put them up on a pedestal and they talk to us. And today, joining us is Jacob Shymansky, technical producer for AMI Audio, co-host and producer on AMI Audiobook Review. We'll be back with him on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya on AMI. AMI Audio, 4 p.m. Eastern Time is our first edition of the episode. AMI TV, we join you live at 2 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Go to your podcasts also because we're available there. Because um, it's interesting, I'm at the office. Sometimes we have other people joining us at the office on the show, but they're not where I am. Mysterious. What do you What do you mean by that? Mysterious. You mean like somebody down the hallway, somebody Maybe. around the corner? Maybe. Like they're you here on the screen, but they're not next to well, me. Well, I, I think you're, you're so used to all that attention before the show when they're mollycoddling you mm. to get you all set that you forget about other people, other places. How can like, I know, though? There is a Studio 5 that does exist. True. But we're Studio 6. I don't know. I don't know. Is well, anybody listening up. who could tell us where Studio 6 is? Maybe it's Andy Frank thing. stole that. Maybe it's over in audio. Oh, is uh, Dan studio? studio 6? What studio? That studio was Studio 5. Uh, sorry, we don't know what we're talking no. about. No, six is... Studio 5 is where we used to do the show. Yeah. 6 is Dan, I'm told. Dan, you're your no. own studio? I mean, I've heard of music in our what, minds. the audio but... room? Uh, like audio control room? No, that's not a studio. You mean where DJV is? Yeah, that's not a the studio. The old one that... No, All right, that's not okay. You know we'll what? try to it find this out, folks. We'll just stop. Stop right yeah, here. because we're sitting here playing around with this. Folks, uh, it's voices time. And when we uh, do this segment, we get into conversations with people 
that you may or may not know the voice from, but could and should from people who work here with the network or voices that are familiar. We love to talk to people about their passions, their drives, and any comments that people may have for us to cover. Today, we're wel welcoming back to our Voices segment, audio technical producer, Jacob Shemansky. Shy, welcome back. What's cooking? Hey, friends. I'm joining you from 30 meters away in hey. Studio 5. He is in Studio 5, which is our old studio where we were when we were Kelly and Ramya, but Jacob has now claimed it as an office. I think part of my wall is part of his wall right now. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's true. I could probably knock yeah. and I could find I, you. I was yeah. just going to say, uh, uh, Rum, you could probably, no, you can't. You've got stuff behind you. got Dave set behind yeah, you. Yeah, I can't. But I Jacob can't find could probably wall, but... do shave and a haircut on the other side. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jacob, welcome back, man. Hope you're doing well and uh, keeping really busy. We're going to get into some of the busy things. But let's spend about 30 seconds talking about one of your other passions. Something that you've minutes. just been assigned assigned to the uh, this this different role with audiobook review. Uh, you're now co-hosting and producing the show. Uh, how is that going? I mean, working this with the talent brilliant. you have to work with is difficult. It's brilliant. But how is your experience now in your new role? Yeah, that's right. It's been very different for me. And I was super excited when I got the opportunity to get started uh, working on that. Half my role is on air, obviously, as the co-host of that show. But most of the work is done outside of it, which is story chasing and scheduling people, which I'm sure you guys know a lot about already. Um, but audiobooks are something that I was personally really interested in to start with. And I think I mentioned on the very first episode in which I made an appearance that I like talking about audiobooks, I think, just as much as I like reading them. It, it's part mm. of the experience is discussing them. Would you agree? Yeah. Were you ever in a book club? Mm -hmm. And we're spending more than 30 seconds on this, so let's go to a this... book club topic. But were you ever beforehand in a book club? The funny thing is I've been in two book clubs and I've quit both of them because I didn't like the books that they were choosing. <laughs> you need to find you need to find something that you're really into personally. Like it's it's difficult to find a book club in which you you mesh both with the books that you enjoy and the people there. Was it just okay. like all kinds of books, or was it a fantasy book book club? All books, oh, all okay. sorts. Well, of there's books. your first mistake. Mm. And they and they were picking this. See, I'm I'm more for all sorts because I need that help to read other stuff outside of the genres that I like. But for you, when it comes to researching and discussion with, um, oh, I forgot who your co-host is. I'm sorry. But with, with that co-host, do you actually have to sit back and would you say fully read a book, whether you wanted to or not, or had the time to? Maybe that's your mantra that, no, if I'm going to talk about a book, I got to read it completely, even if I'm only talking for mm, 10 seconds. Fair. Mm, I actually don't think you need to read a book fully to be able to talk about it because you can understand the context surrounding a book based on reviews that you've read and um uh clips that you've heard from it or just uh, excerpts you can you can surmise a lot from a book just from the conversation happening around it that said if we're doing an in-depth review i am 100 reading the entire book and it helps that yeah i am a completionist and for the record me too uh, my co-host is some girl called ramya i'm with him oh. i don't know if you're 
Well, yeah. Thank you. Some girl. Yeah. That's, that name's familiar. Now, that doesn't mean you can ask a question. We're talking about your show. I don't want Wait, you in on this. I have you can a question. Have the rest of um, oh, good grief. <laughs> okay, so we have actually had segments on the show where... Stop trying to get out of talking audiobook review. Okay, so... There's no we need. Had you have segments. a whole hour on Andy's uh, service to carry on with that. We will put you on the soapbox then. We've had segments <laughs> on the show where... On this show, on Kelly and Remia, and on audiobook review where we've talked to authors or show. talked reviews with people about the books that they recommend so we're like yeah uh, we'll volunteer we'll read all the book and then discuss it so number one when it came to talking with authors i didn't feel the need to actually finish the entire book to get the gist of it especially if i was not Mm -hmm. feeling it but when Mm -hmm. you're reviewing a book with somebody doesn't it feel like you kind of gotta read the whole thing kels what if you're honest enough that we are discussing reviews that are out there pertaining this book in the aspect that this these reviews may get me to read the book Sure, but if we're discussing it directly with the people, you know, there have oh, been you times. you mean the author or, no, sorry, are you? So, the recommender, like when we have book clubs here, right? There have been well, some yeah, excruciating. Well, yeah, for sure, for sure, here you have to. But here we're reading the book together like those Jacobs, uh, I know, you know, clubs I know, but even then, even then, like as, as committed as we are, uh, there have been at least two books that I was not able to finish for here one the for me but club. jacob also made the mention that he's a completist and i know how yeah. hard it was for me jacob not to finish the one book it was and it was just it killed me like i'm not sure i'll finish the book we're reading right now i love the book it's not even that i'm long. enjoying it seriously no but oh well then maybe i will then yeah it's like I, six I just, hours i've been caught up in oh well then i will then yeah you will okay sometimes it's I just do. a matter of time right yeah we're yeah. very busy people yeah. clearly I'm uh, sure, especially if you're reading all these reviews. Okay, so time's run out on audiobook review, Jacob. Let's talk about a real first for you. And this is just, to me, amazing. I had a chance to listen to you and Andy Frank do this. But you just recently hosted your first AMI Audio live event. And by the way, you can check out audiobook review on AMI Audio over the weekends. Yeah. With Ramya Muthan and Jacob Shymansky and Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Thank you. Don't You're tell professional. me I'm not prepared You're a professional. to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very exactly. Well done. But don't let it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So, for the Jacob, plug. I. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah hey, go back know. to the remote. Um, How was it? So the remote, very much. Tell us about that. And you looked darn well in your in your dress clothes. Oh, gee, thank you. Listen, if you told me five years ago, even two years ago, that this was the kind of work I'd be doing, presenting as a as a host um, for AMI, the um, Canadian. Uh, Disability Hall of Fame induction ceremony, doing that live, I, I would have never believed you. Because that's not the person that I, I thought I was, honestly. Because all my life, I've been a very introverted person. I've always been more of a listener than a talker. Like, people definitely know me that way. But getting thrown into this, and that's kind of how it felt, was nerve-wracking, but also super exciting. And while I was doing it, I'll say after 10 minutes, maybe Mm. it felt awesome. Like I was genuinely having a ton of fun. That said, what do you attribute that to though? The fun? The fun that you felt so much like you were having fun. I mean, especially this introvert side that I've heard this from this one over here. I was going to say the first time I claimed, nobody took it seriously. Nobody takes us introverts seriously, Jacob. Stop talking, Jacob. I still have to. It's part of my job, but yeah. Oh, God. I get you, Jacob. Sorry, Jacob. You were going somewhere with that, and I jumped in with the question because I'm kind of curious where what attributes this change. 
it's just being thrown into something new forces you to to problem solve and mm. to rewire your brain in a certain way. And I'm always up for a challenge. That's what I saw it as. So even the prep leading up to it was really exciting for me. And Tell I was stressed about, about it. Tell about I was stressed that, about that. It. Curious. <laughs> I, I I was stressed about it. I'm not gonna lie. But that stretch pushes you on, right? Mm. So mm. once I had everything ready and I got past the first five, 10 minutes, then I was having a ton of fun. I, I felt like I was sitting there and thinking to myself, yeah, this is this is where I want to be. Like, I'm having a ton of fun here. Mm. But you said that wow. being said, so was there another reflection? I forgot where I was going oh, with that. Sorry. Yeah, that's because you, that's because you interrupted him. Oh, uh, anyway, shy. When it comes to the feel of doing this, that moment that it clicked in, that I'm really having fun here. Was there a weight lifted off? Was there, you know, I mean, sometimes we get to where we have to tell ourselves, I don't want to take myself too serious, but I, but I've got to take this gig serious. I'm surrounded by all these these cool people at a really neat event. I'm dressed up, you know, killing for the role of I'm hosting. This next couple hours here, I'm in, you know, I'm in charge and I have the full support of all the people out there around me, my listeners. What, what thing took you to that place of I'm here to have fun, man? I think realizing that it's an entertainment product, really, right? Mm. I'm, I'm not there to be incredibly serious and and make this a very dour situation like I I'm there to just present and it made it a lot easier that I wasn't talking for two hours. Right. right? I was right. just linking <laughs> yep. segments that were happening on stage. That makes things a lot easier. And it was really stressful at times, even like during. But I think that's what really kept me on my toes, honestly. And live is nice. like that, right? It comes with things that oh, you just yeah. can't predict. Uh, but you mentioned it, like it's a celebration. It was something that the vibe and the energy alone is what you're trying to bring to listeners who aren't there with you. So as long as that intention is there, oh, yeah. you can kind of feel it. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And I count myself um, lucky as well that the event was really well organized. Yeah. So everything was on time. Everyone was in a great mood. Like the entire thing went very, very smoothly. So for my first time doing this kind of live programming, I couldn't have asked for any better. And Andy didn't when leave were you, you approached? Hanging. No, no, he never would. When did you, when were you first approached by Andy to do this? About a month prior. Not too much time, but enough to... Uh, sit with it prepare sit with <laughs> okay. it yeah exactly yeah, yeah okay awesome. and and i gotta say fedora's off to andy because what a thing that's so fun to do to get, put someone in that position to succeed and to watch them to be able to stand there and watch i'm sure he was proud um i i enjoyed very much listening to your work and it was just really cool to say there he is so next thing um, are you up mm -hmm. for doing more of that? Do you kind of have that stipulation as things go right now that I really would rather do something that's pretty fun. Don't put me into the, any heavy stuff going down there and standing in front of Queens park. Oh, no, no, no. At this point, I'm feeling more and more eager to do live stuff and just nice. being on the air in the first place. Perfect. Yo, we have to take, we have to take some credit for that. Right. Cause like this show is what you first came on live. My, 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 aren't you getting, yeah, that's again? true. Yeah, right. can take, Oh, All the credit. Thank probably. you. Uh, round tables and well, book and clubs you know, and you know, Shai, she Come also on. has this whole thing that, well, that was like me and <laughs> I've taken Jacob by the wing uh, <laughs> sorry, and I, just threw him out the I, window. I'm, I'm, basically, I'm basically his mentor. <laughs> into guys, the deep end. <laughs> that's right. 
Thanks for the audio description. I, I okay. love the audio description. <laughs> hey, punch buggy. Uh, Yo, okay, quickly, Rami, you're, yeah. ask him a question. Will you quickly, please? quickly. Tell us, um, we have like two minutes. So tell us about Reaper. So shout out the, the kind of um, process and progress that has been your adventure with audio editing, audio editing softwares, accessibility, because you were you doing it all the sighted way before. Okay, now you have a minute. I was doing audio editing um, sighted um, for a huge part of my life before I lost my vision. And having learned how to use Reaper, uh, Reaper is an audio editing software. You can make music, uh, radio programs, or podcasts, or whatever you want. And I learned how to do it accessibly because there's an extension called Osara, O-S-A-R-A, that makes it accessible. And genuinely, learning how to do that is what got me my job at AMI. That's what got me through the door. And, and why I, did you want to do that? Why did you just want to go and because get Reaper? music was always a hobby for me. And if you learn how to edit music, how to create music, then you know how to make podcasts and audio editing because music right. is significantly more complicated to produce than podcasts so it's it's uh it's a natural transition do you feel like you so, know reaper inside out yes um it's important to know your strengths i have lots of weaknesses but i know i'm really good at reaper nice. yeah talk about music production because you've done some you've helped this one and you've also worked with jason and other people just to kind of help, help take your little touch your knowledge and put it to work on their work yeah, I've always been a bit of a solo musician playing by myself, like since I was, what, 12, 13, about started with guitar, then piano, I've been more into bass lately. Uh, but I've also produced like electronic music, like beats. I made some terrible music with my friends, which I'm not going to share. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, it's funny on. that that's where it all started. <laughs> I'm glad no, no, he no. finishes with that. No, YouTube shoutouts. Okay. No, 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 I'm trying to keep my job. <laughs> 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 Why, you're afraid if Andy hears that? Says, oh, my God, we can't have the You dress up all you want. You're not getting on <laughs> there. No, sir. Um, I really thank you. This We could go on forever, but somebody will get you back on here because I always have these questions. I'm anxious to hear where you land next with live. And it's really interesting because of all the possibilities and things I think that you have ahead of you. And it's exciting to watch. And I can just imagine how your manager feels knowing, hey, man, I got this five tool player right here, ready to go. Thanks, pal. Yeah, that's how I see it too. It's exciting. I don't know where it's going, but I'm liking it. Thanks. Nice. Yeah, and enjoy. Uh, that's our voices segment. Jacob Shemansky, technical producer for AMI Audio, uh, joining us. We do this on the third Tuesday of the month. After the break, we're wrapping up. We'll tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown Wednesday morning on AMI TV, and we'll close off the show with you. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Wrapping up Kelly and Ramya here, and this wrap-up includes a couple different elements, starting with a reminder that you can check out the show via podcast. Just go visit wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever. I don't need to list on and on. You're techie. And uh, there, of course, you will find the show on demand, available full show. Who's got vanity card today, Kels? Uh, rhymes. 
All right, Jeff Ryman's got a vanity card tacked onto the end of today's full show episode, and then also we're available to share segment by segment. Notice I said share, so share the podcast. We got lots of fun conversations for you to do that with. And next item on the list, check out Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern Times live on AMI-TV. This is every weekday. That is our morning show. And here's what they got planned for the Wednesday edition. The extended birthday boy is back, too, my understanding. Yeah, he is. He's uh, back. So lots of cool content. Disability advocate David Leposky had him, of course, on our show recently with Danielle McLaughlin. He's going to be telling us why he's filing a freedom of information request to have the Ontario government release its viewers' rep report on uh, the AOTA. And we had that discussion with him here, and he explained. So if you didn't catch ours, do catch the gang over on now tomorrow morning with that. Uh, community reporter, Shiny Sir Vanamuthu. Van I'm trying, Shiny. I'll get it. Mm. Uh, recently underwent cataract surgery. She'll talk about the experience and... Last month, journalist Arnold Kopecki discussed Canada's approach to building cities and the environmental impact of it. The group responsible for tackling the issue is the Task Force on Housing and Climate Change. Arnold will tell us more about their work and how they're trying to address these issues starting tomorrow, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-TV. It's now with Dave Brown. My goodness, what a heavy, heavy show, but lots of impactful conversation, of mm, course, coming your mm. way. Building cities and the environmental impact, like talk about big stake conversations, right? Um, here's what I picked out for us to wrap the show with. If you feel like talking ants, then here's one for you. There's an <laughs> ant species unique to New York City, which in and of itself is really interesting. Uh, it's called Manhattan ants. I guess as we colloquially call them, and biologists found them in a very specific 14-block strip of the city. It Doesn't this sound like something that's just not believable? Because I don't know what happens with <laughs> ants that they just stay within a 14-block. What is it in those 14 blocks that keeps the ants there and not anywhere else, you know? And is it a hard and fast rule? Or when we come back to the story, uh, I don't know, two years later, is it going to now be an 18-block, a 25-block? Like, Ants are hard workers. Manhattan. Oh, gosh, yeah. I just get such a kick out of this one. This is, to me, just just, just deadly. Uh, and mostly deadly. they're in are one area. Hmm. Well, it's just, I mean, deadly isn't laughing. You know when you say your jokes? Oh, deadly. right, that's, right, that's, right. Okay, that's sorry, old sorry. Terms too. Yeah, Put you're that killing list, me. Please. You're killing me. Yeah, yeah got yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but it's really amazing to me when you talk ants and when you talk any creature isolated somewhere on Manhattan Island or just mm. some little place. Yeah, I don't know if uh, these ants are supposed to be, like, poisonous, if they're uh, overly destructive to this strip, <laughs> 14-block strip, but I think that I'm, I, I want to know more about how they're different from other ants. Uh, and also, it does have an official name, but I'm not going to try to say it because it's that's ridiculous, but apparently they can successfully climb into high-rise apartments which is kind of wow. ridiculous to me. Uh, and this was from 2022. So this is the most updated information. They are making it into the Manhattan apartments. Talk about hardworking ants, huh? Uh, yeah, and that's all they are. Manhattan uh, ants. That's all it is. Yeah, they're hard. But they put the word together, right? Manhattan ants. Manhattan I, but, it, but our screen readers make a real good time with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Manhattan ants. <laughs> mm, exactly. But that is just wild. 
I, I just can't believe they got it coined after them. I wish. Um, but you would figure that. New York, everything's done like that, right? Manhattan this, you know, a Manhattan for a drink. I mean, we're not finding any ants floating in that. You know, when we talk about evolution and survival of the fittest, I'm thinking if you can uh, survive as an ant population in New York City, then there's not much more places that you need to try to survive at. This is this is it. This is the test. All right. Ants with that New York accent, too. Mm. On the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Rumia, when you join us, Greg David is going to talk about another uh, or history lesson. Give us one. And this one is mm. on the history of TV drama. Excited for that since I missed his comedy's birth and talking so much. Yeah. Also, this Friday, the Disability Collective presents a sit-down comedy show which features a ridiculous funny lineup of all disabled and deaf comedians. We'll learn more tomorrow on the program with Desiree Walsh. Looking forward to all that and more on Kelly and Remia. Hey guys, it's Jeff here. And as I sit here recording this, November 21st, November 21st, wow, just about a month until Christmas. Now, when is it too soon? I guess to say get in the Christmas spirit, but more so put up decorations. For me, November 1st, way too early. Like the amount of people that I saw take down their Halloween decorations and immediately replace them with their Christmas or holiday-themed decorations. Um, it, it was mind-boggling to me. A lot of people did it, you know, just walking around with the dog, checking out people's houses, their decor. You know, sometimes you can see into people's um, houses, and they've already got their Christmas tree all lit up. And don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. It's probably my favorite time of the year. But at a certain point, I feel like it's just too much. Last year, for example, I think I started watching Christmas movies maybe just after Remembrance Day, like say November 12th. Like it was about a month and a half away until the big day. And I just sat there after about a week and was like, wow, like this is this is really early. <laughs> Christmas is still over a month away. Um, so for me, to go back to my original question, when is it too early? I like to hold off until at least after Remembrance Day. Anything after November 11th is fair game to me. But again, there's people who do it November 1st. There's people who do it after Remembrance Day. I know a lot of people wait until after, I guess, American Thanksgiving, even though we don't celebrate it up here. But that's roughly a month away from Christmas, so it's it's really an age-old debate, but for me, I really don't mind putting up decorations after Remembrance Day, but in terms of getting into that Christmas spirit, um, watching movies, um, you know, singing those songs or listening to the music on the radio, I like to hold off until, yeah, November 21st. November 21st is probably a good day, give or take a couple of days. But yeah, roughly about a month, I think, is good enough for me. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.